Okay. Shalach to Rebezra. Thank you for sponsoring. Shalach to for coming to learn. In last week's parasha, prior to receiving the brachas, um, in order to set the proper mood, Yitzchak asked Esav to prepare food for him um, to eat. So the Bali Atayis just reshined him. On Chumash already asked, how is it that Yaakov, uh, Yitzchak was able to rely on the kashrus on the shkita of Esav? After all, Esav was uh, certainly a balavera, not someone who was probably nizer and kashrus himself. How was he permitted to eat from his shkita? He was an evidev a desire, a mumalev a desire. How was he uh, able to eat from his shkita? How was he able to rely on his kashrus? So actually, the reshined suggests that he perhaps was unaware of Esav's uh, extracurricular activities and had a very optimistic view of his uh, child. And he never ate from his shkita until now. This was the first time he was going to do so, and that's exactly why Kodesh Baruch Hu arranged it that Yaakov intervened and prevented Yitzchak from eating from the food of Esav because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not mevi ta'kala lebehemten shel tzaddikim, the Gemara says. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't bring machol asuras to the animals of tzaddikim, certainly to the tzaddikim themselves are protected. Other achreinim suggest that perhaps, even though the Avos volunteered to fulfill the Torah and the mitzvahs prior to it being given, um, they only volunteered to fulfill the mitzvahs asay. They didn't volunteer to perform the mitzvahs lois asay, and therefore perhaps, you know, Yitzchak wasn't as careful about kashos as we might have presumed. Either way, the Rishonim, the achreinim, have begun to pilpul about this, uh, this topic, um, but it comes up in contemporary settings as well, particularly if a person is a Balchuva, let's say, um, and he wants to eat at his parents' home, and the parents are not Shemitar and Mitzvahs, is he permitted to rely? And they say yes, even though they themselves are not uh, Nizar and Kashrus, but they know, and, you know that their child is coming, they respect the lifestyle choice that they have made, um, and they, uh, they, they affirm, you know, they give uh, you know, as, uh, assurances to their child that they plan to serve him only kosher food, and they you know, go to show them receipts and all the things that they went to, the great lengths they went to in order to prepare food in a kosher fashion. Does the child have the right to rely on the parents? Or unfortunately, Leilene, we have it in our situations today where you have a religious family, otherwise religious family, and a child um, who could go off the derech, um, is not careful about kashrus, but yet is respectful of the um, origins of his family and the orientation of his family. And will, you know, when they visit him or her, uh, also um, uh, you know, plans to serve them only kosher food and, and, and informs them that he's only going to serve them kosher food, do they have the right to rely on this child um, to, you know, in terms of the assurances that uh, he or she gives them that the food is kosher? So a similar scenario, Tiyasek and Esav, could come up in a contemporary setting and the Paiskim debate or discuss how, you know, is, uh, is, is a person permitted to rely on a non-religious or a parent, a parent who's not Nizar and Kashrus or a child, let's say, who's not Nizar and Kashrus, but yeah, well, uh, but assures his parents that he's serving them kosher food. So in general, we have a rule that Eid Echad Nem Bambisurin, which we've discussed in the past, that even though in the era of Dine Mamnus and Dine Nefashis, uh, the Pasuk says in Parashat Shaftim, that when it comes to Deirim Amnesty, it's required two witnesses, and it's usually the gold standard throughout Halacha. With regards to Isav Ahetar, the rule is, Eid Echad Nemam Bisurin. When it comes to matters of uh, kosher and not kosher, or other matters, religious matters that are not monetary or, or dina nefashis, or, or status changes such as marriage and divorce, which also require two witnesses. If it's not that kind of an issue, it's isr beheter, it's found in your day, typically you can rely on one witness. Eid echonem bisurin. What's the source for that principle? So Rashi there writes that it's a svara. What's the svara? Very compelling svara. 
because um, the Torah commands us that you have to shecht an animal properly in order to make it kosher. And then in order to eat produce that grows in everything, so you have to separate chumas and maestras. If everyone's going to have to do it themselves and they can only rely on themselves, we will all be busy shechting our own animals and being mafish chumas and maestras from our own vegetables. We'd have to have farms. We'd have to have, uh, you know, uh, raise our own livestock or grow our own produce because we can't rely on anybody else the separation of Chuma or, you know, or their Shechita. So it must be, says Rashi, in order for society to function, we have to be able to rely on other people's separation of Chuma or, or on their Shechita. The Ravid, in his comments on the bottom of the riff, in the back of Masechus Pesachim, gives a better imagery, which you know, drives it further home, which is, well, if a person can't rely on their wife or someone else in their family to prepare supper in a kosher fashion, so, you know, I have to do it myself and I can only rely on myself if I did it. So if, if I can't rely on anybody, so then we won't be able to function even in, in our private homes. Forget about the meat industry and the produce industry. So it must be, says Rashi, that we have a principle of when it comes to these matters, we can rely on one witness. Taisvis um, brings actually a source from the Pesach Compassion with Sarah in connection with the Zavid Gedela or the contemporary Nida who counts Shiva Nikim. Seven clean days prior to going to the mikveh after um, she stops bleeding. So she has to count those seven days, as the Pasuk says, v'safra law, v'achar, and then she becomes tar. So she first has to count seven, shafra shivas yamim, first she has to count seven days, and then she can go to the mikveh to become tar. Who counts those seven days? She counts them. As the Gemara says in Masechus Ksubis, Tosis quotes it over here in the second line of his base, v'safra law, la liatzma. She counts it by herself without the need for two witnesses to be there to, uh, to, uh, to, to uh, uh, verify that she counted properly and that she's not bleeding. So Taisa says, from the fact that a woman is believed for her own shivanikiyim, establishes a principle that when it comes to matters of Yisra Heter, the halachas that are found in Yeridea, you can rely on one witness. And we derive from there, from the, you know, the area of Taras uh, HaMishmacha, to all areas of Yisra Heter, that Eid Echa Nem Vishur. And we'll come back to that Taisus in a minute. But Rashi and Taisus have a dispute. What is the basis for this principle? Is it a svar? Because Lama Tzini Adena Veragleinu without Eid Echa Nem Vishur? Or is it based on the counting that a woman makes of her own Shivanikim, the Sefer Laliyatzma, that when it comes to religious matters, you can rely on Eid Echa Nem Vishur. However, even though that is generally the principle, and therefore you can rely on someone else when they tell you that food is kosher, if they're otherwise religious Jew, because Eid Echa Nem Vishur, if the person themselves is not careful about kashrus, or any particular area of halach that we happen to be discussing you know, in, you know, in that context, if they themselves are not careful about it, they're not per, uh, believed to verify its status. That's what the mission establishes over here. If you yourself are suspected about this matter, meaning you're not careful about it yourself, you're not permitted to serve as a dayan, and you're not permitted to testify about it because the person themselves is not careful. And since they're not careful, they lose their nemonos. This is quoted in the Yoridei and some Kufiyot Tesif Aleph. It's the basis for so many Mishnayas and Mishnayas, the Mai, and uh, throughout say the Zerayim, that if a person is not careful about Shaviyas, if he's not careful about Shumas and Maishas, he's what's known as an Amoritz, and he's not believed in that area. But this is quoted in Shulchan Aruch, if a person is not, themselves not careful about eating Trey food, Bainim who or even if it's only with regards to Surim Durabanan, they fudge, they cut corners on one issue or another, they lose their Namanus entirely with regards to this area. And if you're eating by him, 
You're not allowed to eat the foods with which he is not careful about. So, well, you know, this could be a very significant issue. If a person is, let's say, going to his parents' home, and the parents are not careful about uh, kashos, but they tell you, we only bought you kosher food, we're going to prepare it in the way that you asked us, um, you might not be, even though normally we have a principle of soon. if the person themselves is not careful about that area of halacha, they lose their nemonos. They lose, uh, you know, their ability to be trustworthy in that uh, area. So the same token, right? If uh, a child is uh, 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 um, uh, claims that he's going to prepare only kosher food for his parents, wouldn't be believed if they themselves are not careful about that area of halacha. However, is there any room for negotiation? Is there ever a time that we award nemonus to a person who otherwise is not deserving of that nemonus? Is it possible to give a certain sense of trustworthiness to a person who the halacha doesn't give it to him as part of, you know, the objective standards that we have, but maybe on a subjective plane or on scenarios, is it possible to award that kind of status to an individual? So the Gemara in Masech the Shulun actually has one example of this with regards to figuring out whether or not something ha- is uh, kosher food or tray food. So, for example, the, G- the Gemara there is discussing a different permutation of the Gemara's discussion is if you have, let's say, a pot of meatballs and a drop of milk falls into the stew of meatballs and cholent, I guess. It's flation. And a drop of milk falls in. So does that answer the entire pot or not? So we know the rule is that if you can taste the milk in the pot, in the meatballs, then it answers. If it's known as tamki iker. If it, uh, even though there's rave against the milk, um, but if you can taste it, the tam is ki'ika, and it's as if the milk is discernible and, 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 and impactful, and therefore, it's a problem. Um, if, uh, uh, so if you can't taste it, if you can't taste it, then it is permitted. So well, how do we know if you can taste it or you can't taste it? So the Gemara says, look at this end of the second line, before Taisis, Samchinan akfeila armo. Ask, what's known as a te'imas kfeila. Ask the non-Jewish cook to taste it. A Jew can't taste it because what if it's also? He's going to turn out that he ate machal sasuris. So ask the non-Jew to taste it. If he says it tastes like milky, so then you know that the milk is discernible. If not, so then you know that the milk is bottled. How can we rely on this non-Jew who's otherwise not believed? Not believed. He himself is not, you know, nizhar and kashrus. He's not careful about eating basar b'chalam. He's not, you know, a non-Jew is generally not believed in any area of halacha. How is he believed here to perform a te'imas kfeigah? So Taisus here explains that this is based on a principle, what's known as Lomara Umnusayu. It's a principle that's developed by the Rishonim. It's already rooted in numerous sukkahs in the Gemara. We've discussed it actually on previous occasions. That a person is not going to risk his professional um, livelihood in terms of his own reputation and integrity to be machshil Jews in Averis, to, to make Jews uh, stumble in Averis. So this person is a professional cook. He's a chef. He is paid, let's say, to his palate and, you know, being able to pick out different flavors. And maybe he writes, I forget what the name of the person who's careful, you know, knows how to pick out the flavors in the wine. It tastes like berries in the summer, you know, like that. that per- huh? Smellier. Yeah. So that, that's his profession. I'm going to forget it the next time again. So <laughs> that's his profession. He's not going to risk his reputation uh, to be martial Jews and eating milky cholent. He's not going to do it. So, uh, so the Gemara says he's a professional. He's a kfela. So that means he's a cook. That's his profession. He's not going to be, you know, risk his, his reputation in order to be martial Jews in, um, in order to be martial Jews in, in Israel. Yeah, that's Taisus' explanation. That's how Taisus explains it. The Rashba says, no, that's not what this is based on. It's not based on 
the fact that he's not going to risk his professional reputation is because of another principle that we have. That generally, even those uh, who might be posuliators, or not neman in this context or situation, if they are speaking without realizing that what, uh, the implications of what they're saying, what's known by the Gemara at the end of Masechus Babakama as Mesiach Lefitumo, He's discussing it, but he doesn't realize that what we're, you know, we're, we're like harping on every word. Does it taste like milky chulant? Does it not taste like milky chulant? We ask him, what do you think of the chulant? What flavors do you detect? But we don't tell him why we're asking. He does not aware. And today, sometimes the chefs in non-Jewish, in kosher restaurants, even if they themselves are not Jews, no, no hilfus kashas better than, than some of the Jews. So they're going to figure it out. If you do this trick more than once, why we're asking. But let's say the first you bring it over to some cook and some chef and some other restaurant has no idea about Jews and their, and their you know, our weird culture and the things that we eat. And there's no idea why we're asking. So he's made siach lifitumo. So the Gemara says, even though a person in general might not be believed in this situation or context, um, with regards to certain situations, we'll rely on those who are otherwise possibly edos if they're made siach lifitumo. The rare circumstances. So over here also, the Rashba says that that's what this Te'imah's Kfei was based on is the fact that he's Mesiyah Kofitumo. The Rambam has a different approach, which is also very compelling. The Rambam says, no, the reason why he's believed is because if he tells us it doesn't taste milky, we're going to eat it. What's going to happen after we eat it? We're going to be able to tell whether it's milky or not. So it's a milsa davide legluye. Even though sometimes a person might not necessarily be believed in one situation, if, we, if it's going itself to be revealed and you're going to be uh, 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 unmasked, to be a liar, then it's going to reflect badly on you. No one's ever going to believe you again. No one's going to ever want to do business with you again. So it, it's, it's a similar to the not going to risk his professional reputation, but it, it's more broad. Universal that people don't lie about things that are you know, readily uh, available to verify. Uh, you, you wouldn't lie about a milsa David So the Raman explains that that's what the Imas Kfei was based on. We don't do this Lamaisa. We don't do this Lamaisa, because the Ramah writes over here on the second line of Oisvav, even though Shulchan Aruch does quote the Timas Kvela as a resolution to the milk that falls into the meat stew, we don't rely on this, says the Ramah on the second line, Ayin Lekaman Simen Tzadi Ches, De'ein Anunoigen Lismach HaTimas Rebbe Kechavim, Uba'inen Shishin Bechol Inyan. We require 60 times the volume of the milk in the meat, and then we assume that you can no longer taste the milk. The Ramah does not rely on Timas Kvela. And therefore, Ashkenazim, we don't do this at all. We always require shishim. If there's 60 times against the volume of the milk in the meat pot, it's permitted. If not, it's prohibited. Why? Why don't we rely on Timas Kfeyla? That's what the Gemara said. So Bekiva Eger writes later on in Simit Sadiches over here in the brackets of Oiz I don't know why we don't rely on Timas Kfeyla, but he says perhaps it's because of the following. It's This is an unbelievable behavior of Bekiva Eger. He says because maybe we have to be cheshish for both Shittas and Rishonim as to what Timas Kfeyla is based upon. Is it based on the fact that he's issuing his professional opinion and he's not going to risk his his livelihood and his reputation to lie, or is it because he's discussing this derech agav, kind of offhand, and he doesn't realize, you know, the implications of what he's saying, and therefore we can believe him. So Ramah says, if we want to fulfill both of those opinions, we can't have them both at the same time, they're mutually exclusive. Because in order for him to issue a professional opinion, he has to recognize the implications of that which he's saying. To know that we're going to harp on every word. If it's derech agav, if it's you know something that he's saying offhanded, then it's not a professional opinion. You can't you know you can't uh, you, know, you can't have both at the same time. So therefore, Rabbi Kiva Eker says, since we want to be cheshish for all the different opinions about what team uh, 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 is all about, and they can't uh, coexist. So because of that, we don't rely on the whole thing. That's his own suggestion within the Ramah. That's why we don't rely on the whole thing. We only rely on shishim. But this, huh? No. But is that a professional opinion? 
Is that a professional opinion? Meaning, if you speak with a professional in any industry, and I don't want to pick on anyone, but if you speak to a professional in any industry and ask their opinion offhand, that's not, that's not, I'm not risking my livelihood, I'm choosing with you by Kiddush. Exactly, exactly. You could do both. Huh? You could do both. Have a... Oh, you could do both. Interesting, okay. But that's already more complicated. It's not what the Gemara is talking about. So that's what the Ramah says. Perhaps we're not chayshish with this. But this idea of the fact that people are not going to risk their professional reputations to lie, um, you know, to make uh, Jews be nichshol, to stumble and violate our virus, um, exists not only in the area of Timas. Kfeil applies in other areas too. Look over here. It says the Shulchan Aruch Zion. They used to use pomegranate wine. As a refua. So it says, Yain reminim shemaychum the refua, you can buy it from a non Jew and presume that it's only pomegranate wine. Now, pomegranate wine, I've never had pomegranate wine, but the Shokhanarach here says it tastes a lot like grape wine. Grape wine that's sold by a non Jew is stamienum, which is always going to be usser. If it's pomegranate wine, that's, uh, then it's permitted. There is no isser of stamienum. So, how can I trust that the non Jew is not going to mix in any grapes into the pomegranates? Now, grapes are cheaper. They, they were then and they are now cheaper than pomegranates. So it's to the guy's advantage to dilute the pomegranate wine with grape wine. Can I trust him when he says that it's all pomegranate wine? So Shokhanar says you can. And he says over here at the end of the first line of Isaiah, Mishum, the cave in the Isbek Feda, since people are using this for medicine, they want it to be pure. They want it to make sure that it's fully pomegranate wine and not grape wine. So since people are going to be careful about it, Lomora Nafshe, he's not going to risk his Parnosa as the premier pomegranate wine distributor and dilute it with grape wine because it's going to ruin his entire Parnosa. And the Ramadha writes, This is true with regards to anything which is uh, regulated. The guy is not going to risk his Parnosa to dilute it with something else. This is one of the foundations for a Moshe's Kula about milk in the United States that you can drink what he knows as Chalev companies the, or the, the, the milk that's uh, Stam Chalev, whatever you want to call it, the milk that is not watched over by a Jew from the time of the milking, which is traditional Chalev Yisrael. Ramesha in America allowed that kind of milk. Why? Because Ramesha says the uh, American government regulates the milk industry. So therefore says Ramesha, a milk producer is not going to risk his reputation by diluting cow's milk with camel's milk. Why would, you know, why would he do that? Even if it's, let's say, there's a cheaper option, he's going to ruin his Parnassah forever. People simply don't do that. Then Ramayusha goes a step further, and this is where, you know, this is one step further. Ramayusha says, not only can we rely on the fact that he's not going to dilute it with camel's milk, it's as if a Jew is watching the milking of the cow, because since the American government regulates it so heavily, it's Ke'ilu, since we know that they're not going to do this, it's Ke'ilu, there's a Jew there, even though there is no Jew there, who's watching the milking of the cow, is considered to be called the pasteurization process, I think, at that time. The government requires the pasteurization. That was the No, it's not because of pasteurization. It's pasteurizing the record. Here is, uh, this is his profession. People simply don't risk their professions in order to be martial Jews in Averis. So I asked the Magen Avram, yeah. reputation would also be, be, would be uh, Maybe, yeah, same principle. Other, and maybe that's what Timas Kfeil is based on. The non-Jew tasting the pot of the drop milk. Huh? 
Huh? I'm sorry? But over there, the Ramah is rejecting it. Because there's another view what that halacha is based on. It might not be based on only the professional issue. It might be based on the fact that he's discussing it off the record, and when people and discuss here, things... And here, by, by the panorama, we know that it's not because of this. Yes, here, it's exactly... It's his, produ- it's his product. Here, I'm asking your opinion about not your product. So that's a different situation. Uh-huh. That's a different situation, yeah? But, 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 but to your point, exactly, let's say I have a non-Jew who sells kosher food. Why don't we allow every non-Jew to sell kosher food? Because they're not going to risk their reputation to sell substandard kosher food. So that's exactly what the Muggen of Ram asked over here. I says, one minute, one minute. How can we trust uh, the fact that people are not going to risk their professional reputations and therefore award them a certain artificial nemanus, a trustworthiness, because they're not going to risk their professional reputation to dilute their product? Then let's say, why can I have a non-Jew or non-religious Jew selling kosher produce under the banner that it's kosher food? He's not gonna, and rely on the fact that he's not going to risk his reputation, his whole business, to be marshal Jews in Averis. So the Magen Avram here says that the only time we apply this principle is if it's something that Goyim are careful about as well. Meaning, there's a broader reputation. If it's only just the Jews who care about it, then we don't apply this principle. So, uh, you know, the pomegranate wine, everybody cares about that because that was a refua. So, so everybody cares about it. If it's just Jews who care about it, then we're not really sure whether or not. Now, it could be the Timas Kfela, everybody cares about what flavors are in the foods, and that might be his profession, is to be a smolier and tell you what flavors are, are, in, are in the foods. So that might be something that Jews care about as well as non-Jews, but when it's only Jews who care about it, right, kosher food, there's no lo moro unusayu, there's no Timas Kfela, uh, you know, in terms of being the purveyor of that food, that we don't award that kind of an amonus. The Magen Avram proves it from a Shulchan Aruch, a Sif in Shulchan Aruch, in Hilchashatnes. Let's say you have a guy who sells garments, and you ask him, is the garment have any shotness? And the guy tells you, no, no, I've had, I've had Jews check it high and low. There's no shotness in this suit. But if he's not a religious Jew, he himself is not careful about shotness, or he's a non-Jew entirely, the Shulchan Aruch says, you cannot trust him. You cannot trust him. And he tells you that the suit has no shotness. Why? You think he's going to risk his reputation as a, as a, as a, 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 a you know, the, a custom suit maker? <laughs> exactly. Another word that I don't know, right? In his haberdashery, right? You think he's going to risk his reputation in that field? Why would he do that? So why don't we apply that principle and allow him to award him a certain amount? It's like a team must fail because he's not going to risk his reputation. The answer is because that's something that only Jews care about. When it's only Jews who care about it, then we don't have this kind of a status. There is a similar halacha, though, where we do award... So again, that wouldn't really help for our scenario of the Jew who's visiting his parents. We're not Shemar Kashrus. The parents are visiting the child. not Shemar Kashrus. This kind of, you know, Lomor Umnusayu type argument is not going to carry over because it's something that only certain people care about, and he certainly has no professional reputation that's at stake. There's a similar halacha, though. The Gemara has Mesechus neither with regards to believing doctors. The Gemara here talks about who is, let's say, otherwise not religious or even Jewish. The Gemara here in Masechus Nida talks about a woman who's having a certain kind of a discharge. And we're not sure if it's a discharge that renders her a Nida or not. Is it blood? Is it uterine blood? Or maybe it's some other kind of a discharge. So the Gemara says that they asked the Chachamim about this discharge this woman was having. Um, the details are irrelevant. And they asked the Chachamim, the Chachamim asked the doctors. And the doctor said that this is not Damnida and it's fine. And then uh, they said, we'll prove it to you and they put it in a cup of water, and they said, if it dissolves, it's damnida. If it doesn't dissolve, it's some other kind of discharge. And it didn't dissolve, which showed that it was another kind of discharge and wasn't damnida. So the Rashba, and the, in his Tshuva Sachadoshes over here, Ois Yudalev, as well as the Beis Yais, have derived from here that you can believe doctors, even if they're non-Jews, 
when it comes to verifying matters of halacha. Is this damnida? Is it not damnida? You have the right to rely on the, on the doctors. However, the rush in a tshuva responds to this rashba. And he asked the rashba, but one minute, that Gemara, they required another verification. They required a test. The guy said, I'll prove it to you. And he put it in water. And he said, if it dissolves, then you know it's Damnida. If it doesn't dissolve, it's not Damnida. It's some other kind of a discharge. So he proved it based on some scientific evidence. That's why they believed him. But absent that kind of scientific proof, or that kind of second verification, they would not have believed him. So that's what the Rosh asked the Rashba. How can you believe the doctors? So the Achreinim explained, brilliant. Who told you the scientific test? The guy. So the Achreinim say, uh, so, so that's why you can believe, uh, I'm, I'm, this still can prove that you can believe the non-Jewish doctor because he's the one who told you about the scientific <laughs> test in the first place and they do indeed have them on us. However, the Dark Kemosh over here, Oisid Beis, goes with the similar argument of the Rosh that no, you cannot believe the doctor and the only situation time that they believed the doctor in that Gemara was when he proved it based on the second form of verification with a test. Absent the test, you cannot Trust the doctors. And this is a huge issue in Hilchasnida, it's a huge issue in other areas of Allah where we need. Test is also a to believe. But who? No, that's why you. Yes, that's exactly why you can believe the the guy, because you can can prove it. Yes. So it's a big issue. No. Doesn't help. It's a big debate in the Pais. Can you believe doctors in Hilchas Nida, who's a non-Jew? So Pesachet Tshuva quotes from the Chsam Sefer, from the Neidah Yehuda, their opinion, from the Panami Iris. They're unsure about this. So they treat it as a suffix. When it comes to Yom Kippur and Shabbos, we can believe the doctor because even if it's only a suffix, Bikuach Nefesh, you can be there for Shabbos, you can eat on Yom Kippur. It's just suffix, Bikuach Nefesh. But what about to be Matir? Uh, blood, and to say that it is damnida, it's not damnida, that the Paiskim are very wishy-washy about whether or not we can believe the doctors. However, today, this Paiskim say today, many Paiskim say today, everything is verifiable based on another test. If the doctor, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, guesses that it's not damnida, it can be checked with some, a lot, a lot of situations can be checked. If they, let's say she says she has uh, this kind of a condition, a lot of times there's a sonogram, there's some other way of testing and verifying what the doctor is saying. So it is actually very similar analogous to what the Kamara situation was, where there is some other way of verifying it. Anyway, huh? Make a difference if the question the doctor is asked is about something that other people care about or just true. Like neither is a normal person doesn't care if it's this uh, discharge or the other. Right. But if it's a question of like let's say Achil Bill Keeper, it's a question of three sakana, he will lose his job and, and his license if he's, he's cheating anyone. Right. So the Shavos Yaakov claims that this halacha is based on Lomar Um Nusayu, which would mean that he's not going to risk his professional reputation. That's why the doctors believe. Why would he risk his professional reputation? He mocks Jews and Averis. In which case, it, it's, it's tricky. If it's only a Jewish area, sometimes they say, Yom Kippur, I don't know what your guys think. It's just whatever. You're heebie-jeebie. Eat, eat, eat. So you have to know the doctor. There's some doctors. But sometimes the doctors are like, no, if he's a religious, if he's a religious Catholic, he'll say, no, you shouldn't be eating. And the Rav will be like, no, of course you should be eating. It's Because uh, their definition of suffolk, and I definition of suffolk are not always the same. It's a complicated parsha dealing with doctors, but this idea that he has any naimonis at all is based on the same principle. He's not going to risk his professional reputation. Same idea, but again, there's a professional reputation that's at stake. This might, um, there might be another reason why we believe the doctors, and that's because we have no other choice. When it comes to medical reality, sometimes you have no other choice other than to rely on the doctor. And when there is no other choice, sometimes we do award a certain nemonos to an individual who otherwise is not deserving of that. That's why, if you look back, uh, remember when we started, Eidechad is Nemobisur, and why? Rashi says it's a svara. Otherwise, how can you believe uh, anyone in your house that the food that they prepared is kosher um, if it were not for Eidechad Nemobisur? And Taisus brought a pasuk. 
So he says, it's a pasuk. What's a pasuk? A woman counts Shivanakim by herself. It's for law, law the Yasma. If she believes it counts Shivanakim for herself, the seven clean days before she goes to the mikveh, after she stops bleeding, must be she's believed in other areas of Isser, the Heter. That's a great source. Why did Rashi have to come on to his Svara? It's a pasuk. If it's a pasuk, why do you have to, you know, that's the end of the discussion. It's a pasuk. It's done. Over. Finished. Why didn't Rashi like the Pasuk of Taisvis? If you look at the Ramban, back in Oizbez, the brackets, the Ramban says, because by Nida, there is no other way. What other way is there? We're going to bring two witnesses every time a woman does a badika. Well, there's no pirza, uh, you know, violation of tznias. There's no way for have anybody else there in a way that will preserve her tznias. So it has to be that she's doing it herself. When that's the only way to function, to navigate this situation is to, to rely on the woman. So then, so then, of course, she's going to be believed. The rush has this over here. Um, yeah, that's why Rashi didn't accept Tysus. It's not a good source, neither, because there is no other way. Look over here at the rush, at the bottom of the first side, the rush. That tells us there are three people who are believed to say who's the Bechar. Let's say a woman gives birth to twins. Who's going to determine which one was born first? <coughs> Today, maybe if someone is probably sitting there with a video camera. But let's say, how are you going to determine who's born first? So the Gemara says, three people are believed. The father, the mother, and the midwife. Why is the father believed? Because the Apostle says in Parashas, Ki Ki as Bechar ben Hasnua Yakir. The father is believed to recognize, to pick out, to discern which one is the Bechar, which one is born first. Yakirenu Lachem, the Gemara says. And if the father is believed, the mother is believed. Why is the midwife believed? The midwife is believed. So the Rosh here says in a tshuva, because who else is going to determine who the Bukhar is, if not the midwife? You're going to have the whole town there? You're going to have two witnesses there while the woman is giving birth? It's a pirza. So over here, who else is going to be believed, if not the midwife? And since the midwife is the only person who can be, who can be there, that's why she's believed. The Ramah quotes this in Chayshim Mishpat, with regards to a fight, Chayshim never had this, a fight breaks out in the Ezra's Nashim, and there's damages that need to be assessed. But we first need to figure out what happened. We have to go back to the videotape. But it happened on Shabbos. How are we going to figure out who's at fault and who damaged who? We have a melee in the, in the ladies section. Who's going to figure out who's obligated to pay? Who did what damage? So there's no men there, hopefully. Hopefully, hopefully there's no men there. And you can't see through well enough to figure out exactly what happened. Who knows what happened? Only, only the women. The women know what happened. So the Ramah writes, in that situation where there are only women available... Perhaps the women are believed, even though it's Dine Mominus. And women are usually possibly ages when it comes to Dine Mominus. Here they might be, they might be believed because we have no other way of negotiating the situation. The Pais can quote this with regards to an Aguna case as well. In Hukas Aguna, we have many coolers you can rely on. Sometimes other people who otherwise possibly ados, um, or a person who is possibly ados, who may see a chafitumo. But if a person is possibly ados midoy raisa, and he recognizes why, you know, they're asking him these questions, he's not may see a chafitumo, he's not believed even to be mati or a woman to remarry. However, let's say there is nobody else there. It's uh, war. And a person, Leilenu, dies in war. Who else is there except for Goyim, the people who are in his troop, in his battalion? So the Pais can say, if there is nobody else there, the only people who are there are Psuleyedus, we might have no other choice other than to rely on them. Maybe they do get awarded the same status. Rav Asher Weiss brings this up in a fascinating tube, a very important halach lamaisa, about what goes on in fertility clinics where people um, um, bring sperm, they bring eggs, I mean, they're retreat, you know, in the fertility clinics, and then they make embryos. Um, but you want to make sure that your embryo remains with you and is, uh, not, doesn't get uh, mixed up with somebody else's embryo. So they have hashgacha organizations. There are numerous organizations that I would show here as well that provide hashgacha. 
Um, they seal it in a double seal or whatever to make sure that your embryo remains with you, that the sperm that you, a person, you know, was retrieved, that the egg was retrieved, is theirs. So Rav Asher was asked, who's believed when it comes to performing this kind of hashgacha service? A lot of times it's women. Is a woman believed in this kind of an area? Is a certain why a woman is questionable in this area? We could debate another time, but it, it goes Michael beyond these surim, whatever. A woman is a, a questionable aid when it comes to these kinds of things. Is a woman acceptable in this situation? So Avasher makes three arguments. He says the first argument is you don't really need a hashgacha here because why would anybody mix up anybody else's um, embryo for no gain? I mean, for no reason. Why would they do this just to cause people grief? Why would anybody do it? So there's no reason, there's no latest hasafic, there's no reason why anybody would come along and cause someone else grief for no reason. That's not true. So let's say you have two women. Maliciously? Not maliciously, but for profit. Because let's say there are two women, uh, A and B, and they messed up A. So they'll take uh, the, one of the Bs and, they, and they'll tell A, this was really yours. Okay, so, so maybe there is a reason why people do it. I'm saying there, there are known cases where problems occur. <laughs> right, right. You know? I would say that even if no one has a motivation, it does happen. There was just a case in Eretzishel in September where a woman had went for genetic tests for her child and it wasn't related to neither her or her husband. She received the embryo in a fertility clinic in Rishon Letzion. So, and some other woman got her baby. Terrible, terrible. They shut down the whole fertility clinic. Rishon Letzion just happened a few months ago. So, you know, these kinds of cases, are, if it happens once, it's one too many. It's like, you know, Tylenol with cyanide or, you know, a guy, once Tylenol with cyanide happened in the 80s. Once, we all have uh, uh, tamper-proof containers. Once one guy tries to bring a bomb in his shoe for a little diarist, we're taking our shoes off. We're to get into the plane. Because one case is one too many. So too, in this kind of a situation, one case is one too many. It might be a good idea anyway, whether it's, not, whether it's required or not. But then Rav Asher says, oh, look, who's going to risk their reputation? This kills this fertility clinic. I mean, forever. It's going to be a stain on their record. So Lomar Um Nusai, they certainly don't want this. They'll go to great lengths themselves to protect it. But then Rav Asher says, well, who else is going to give a hashgacha if not a woman? Women are the ones, a lot of times, who are the only people able to be there when the egg is being retrieved or other, to other, in, in other circumstances. So Rav Asher argues, if you have no other choice, sometimes you can't believe, 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 uh, believe other, those who are otherwise possibly at this. But again, this is not going to carry over. Is is the exactly yeah is the rishonim on, on that Rasha yeah? No, it's the manus of the chaya of the of the midwife to say who's the bechar, or the fact that a woman is believed when it comes to hon shiv nikiyim. Maybe it's all based on this. How else are you going to negotiate? But what about our, this? All doesn't relate to our situation. Even though we do award in manus to a person who's otherwise not entitled to it, there's professional reputations at stake. What about here? Uh, where it's not a professional reputation at stake, and even professional reputations only help with things that everybody cares about, not things which are only relevant to Jews, like kashrus. So can a person, though, on an ad hoc basis, I believe this individual award him with a certain kind of nemonis, or I trust you, even though the halacha in general objectively doesn't trust you, subjectively I believe you, and therefore I have the right to eat the food that you prepare. Is there such a concept? So the Gemara says in Mesechus Ksubis over here, Ois Tezvav, in discussing a certain situation of Dine Mamanis, there was a person who accused someone else of owing them money. If someone accuses you of owing them money, you owe me $1,000, and I say, I never met you before, Shalom Aleichem, then I'm a kofar hakol, that's it. I can really walk away, midday raisa. Midday banan, you have to take a shvu, what's known as a shvuas heses. Shvuas heses. So, but let's say, the Gemara there tells the story, a woman accused another woman, she owed her money, so uh, in the basin of Rava, Rava was going to make her take a shvuas heses. His wife, that's the daughter of Rav Chista, said to Rava, I know this woman who you're asking her to take a shvua, she's a liar. She's a liar. I don't know how she knew from the neighborhood chats. She knew she's a liar. Don't trust her. So Rava, uh, Rava took what she said seriously, and he said, you know what? You're not going to take a shvua. You take a shvua that she owes you the money, 
and then she'll have to pay. We're not going to believe her. How could he do that? How could he puzzle her for Shavuot just because his wife told him? So the Gemara there explains because he's over here on the fourth line, Kim Li Begava. I trust her. I trust her. So the Gemara says, brings up another situation where there was a star in the hands of a lender. If the star is in the hands of the lender, you can presume that the loan is active. If it's in the hands of the borrower, you can assume that it's, it's been paid already. That's why he has the receipt. He has for the star back. If it's in the hand of the lender, it's still active. So let's say a guy has a star, and he brings out a star that this person owes someone else money. So Rav Papa had such a situation in the basin of Rav Rav Papa said, I know this star. I know this loan. I'm telling you it was paid off. Rav said, I'm sorry. I don't believe you. I can't believe you. So yes, what's the difference between me and your wife? He says, my wife, I know. Kim we begava? Marlo kim we begave. I don't know you. I know you, but I don't know you. I don't trust you. That's what happened. So Rapapa said, okay, now that I know I have this in my bag of tricks, I didn't tell her it came before Rapapa. And Rapapa believed his own guy. I said, I believe Abba Barba, uh, uh, Mar- Marbury. I believe this one. I know him. This one I don't believe because I don't know him. There's a similar Gemara Masech. The Sivam is that Amr of Yehuda could go in Rav Shmuel by Yehuda. Right? If Rav Shmuel by Yehuda says something in Dine Mamanis that I trust, Kim I have the right to act based on that. Now, not to be mighty Maman, but to, but to cast a certain you know, measure of doubt. Uh, whether a person shvu is active, whether a star is active, you know, the diet has a certain kind of uh, leeway here to believe those who he arbitrarily believes. So Ramaisha in a tshuva, Nicholas Ramaisha over here, Oisu Zayin. This is one of the most mechudeshik tshuvas in Ramaisha that doesn't is under under underappreciated. Most people are unaware of it. Ramaisha's tshuva about this very same situation that we have been discussing. He was discussing it in Russia, where there were children who were going off the derech. So Ramaisha was asked, "Can the parents go? They were infirm. They needed to visit by the children. They were the ones who were taking care of them. But the children are not nizar and kashrus. Can they visit by them? But this is a tshuva Ramaisha wrote in Luban in Russia before he came to the United States. Can they rely?" On the kashras of the children, the children are telling the parents that they're only going to serve them kosher food. So Ramayusha says, yes, they can rely on them. Based on this Gemara Masechus Kusubis, this Gemara Masechus Yavamis, that if Kimli Bigavei, if I trust you, I know you intimately, I have the right to rely on you. Ah, when it comes to Eidos, um, the Gemara says, even Moshe and Aaron, who are two brothers, cannot serve as witnesses together, even though, of course, they're legendary tzaddikim. Um, because they're craven, they're related. And, uh, you know, even Moshe and Aaron, Apostle Yehuda says, Ramayusha, that's if I don't know them personally and intimately. If I know a person personally and intimately, I have the right to rely on them, even if the halacha doesn't recognize it as such. I have the right to rely on them. So Ramayusha based his kula on this situation. Ramayusha was asked in their following truth over here, Oisir Ches, about, well, let's say the community trusts a non-religious Jew not to serve us tray food, can we have a store in our community of a guy we all trust, we know him, we know he's religiously, uh, you know, has shortcomings, but can we rely on him because we trust him. We all as a community trust him, says I might should know. I know. You think you know him, but you don't know him. You think you know him, you might see him outside, you might see his public persona, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Who did the Gemara say that Rava believed? His wife. My wife, I see her. Inside, outside, I know what's going on in that kind of a situation. When it's a person, a person, a person sees inside. He sees them outside. Some people are very good at putting on one show externally, internally. A whole different thing is going on. Says or much in that kind of a situation, you're not believed. It has to be someone that you see them in a lot of different settings. Then you can believe them. Otherwise not. Ravasha, though, in the Minchasasha, disagrees with this Ramesha. He has a kasha. It's a good kasha. He, 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 and that's that uh, Ramesha's rayas are from Dine Torah. Look over here, Isaiah Tess. The Shulchan Aruch says, when it comes to Dine Mominus, a Dayan has the right to adjudicate 
based on what it appears to him. Dayanim have a lot of tools in their bag to adjudicate Dine Torah. There's Raiv, there's Chazaka, there's witnesses, there's assumptions that the Gemara makes, psychological assumptions. Let's say I don't have any proof, the Dayan has no proof, but he believes this person is telling the truth and this person is lying. Or he believes that this person is, you know, the case is, you know, is really, this person should be awarded, you know, and this person should be, should be Chayiv. But he doesn't have any proof necessarily to back it up. Does he have the right to go with his gut? You know, that sixth sense, the dying feels it should be this way, but he has no proof necessarily to indicate in that direction. So I would say, first of all, parenthetically, if a dying he only judges based on his gut, based on his sixth sense, that's no good. If he doesn't know Chesh Mishpat, that's certainly no problem. But he knows Chesh Mishpat. He knows the laws. He knows what should be and what shouldn't be. And, you know, what is acceptable proof is not acceptable proof. But he doesn't have any proof one way or the other. He just, his gut is telling him one way. He says the Shulchan he has the right to rely on his sixth sense and his intuition. If I believe it's true, even if I don't have proof to back it up. I don't have an acceptable proof. I believe it's such. I have the right to act based on it. So says Rav Asher, that's why in that Gemara Masechtus Gemara Masechtus Yevamas, those are Dine Taira. The Dine is given great latitude when it comes to figuring out Dine Taira, even if it means believing someone who's otherwise not Neman, you know, as an aid themselves. So Rav Asher is not happy with Rav proof. However, we can justify, Rav Asher also buys into Rav Asher for a different reason. This is not his justification, but it's my own. But I think we can justify Rav Asher based on another Gemara. The Gemara says over here, Mesechus Kiddushin, not that Rav Asher needs my justifications, but over here, the Gemara says Mesechus Kiddushin, that if a, let's say a man uh, married to a woman, two witnesses come and they say your wife was Mazana. With another man, she's an extramarital affair. He's prohibited to be with her. Two witnesses said he's prohibited to be with her. Let's say one witness comes and says your wife was Mazana. Now, normally, in this kind of a situation, we require two witnesses. Because the Pasuk says, by Dine Mominus, and Pasha Shaiftin, and the word Torah used the word Davar. When it comes to divorce, Pasha's Kisaiti, the Pasuk says, ervas Davar. He heard a uh, seemly you know, thing about her. Um, and just like in Dine Mamanus, you need two witnesses, so too in Dover Sheba Erva, you need two witnesses. So one witness comes and says the wife was Mazana, she really shouldn't necessarily have been believed. That's what Rabbi says. If one witness comes and says your wife was Mazana, ain't Dover Sheba Erva, Pachos Mishnayim. But says the Gemara in the name of Rava, if he trusts this witness, this one witness, like two, he's Saimech on this one witness, like two, then the witness is believed and he does have to separate from his wife. If he trusts this one witness. If he trusts this one witness. Now you'll say, that's based on a different principle. That's what's known as Shavya Anafshe Chaticha De Isura. Even if I have no proof to something. If I assert something as such with regards to me and it involves limiting myself in a certain area. A woman comes and she says, proclaim she's Anita. Then she's Anita. Whether she was bleeding or not, she's Anita. Because she rendered herself Anita. That's what's known as Shavya Anafshe Chaticha De Isura. I have the right to render something in Chaticha De Isura. However, the Ksois explains over here, Ois Chavbe's famous Ksois in the yeshivas, what is this Shavya Nafsha Chaticha Isura based on? How can I create this artificial Isur for myself? Is it like a neder? I can, I'm prohibited from, I'm permitted to eat potato chips, but if I take a neder, then I'm prohibited from eating them, then I become prohibited. I create my own halachic reality through a neder. Or maybe it's no. When it comes to issues that relate to me, I'm believed. Adam Neman Atzma Ish. And the Ksois HaChayshin Concludes, it's based on the fact that a person has a certain nemonos as it relates to him. It says excisively on the third line, the cave in the heaven had Torah. Adam al atzmai, her Torah believes you with regards to yourself. 
it relates to Dine Mamnus, it relates to Isabel as well. That's what Hoidos Baldin Dami is based on. If I say I owe you money, I owe you money. What is that based on? The fact that I'm believed as it relates to me even more than two witnesses. The Gemara says, Mesechtus Krisus, this is the source for the Xois, that if a person comes and he says, You ate Chalev, and you're Chayv to bring a carbon, but you don't believe them, you're not obligated to bring the carbon. It's only when I recognize that I ate Chalev, when I recognize I did something wrong. Even if two witnesses come and they said, You ate Treif. You ate Nevela. You're obligated to bring a carbon. You did it so, not knowingly, so you have to bring a carbon chatas, and I deny it. I say, no, I don't believe you. Two witnesses are coming. Doesn't matter. Says the I found out about my hate. Not that other people told you. I recognize I did something wrong. So even if two witnesses come and they say you ate it, if I know I didn't, you're not obligated to bring a carbon because Adam Nemano Atzma Yosemi Me'ish. you say the Shabbat Yosemi? Okay, okay. But when it comes to this area, I'm believed more than, more than anybody else as it relates to me. That's how the Ksayis interprets Shavi and Afshaklikadu Yisur. So maybe we could suggest that, what, uh, that that works in both directions. If I'm believed more, you know, with regards to myself, even more than two witnesses to prohibit myself in things, well then as it relates to me, if I believe you that this is permitted, even though the Torah doesn't require me to believe you because you're not a kosherate, if I artificially believe you, you know, uh, arbitrarily believe you because of the relationship that we have and the way that I know you, then I have the right to believe you as it relates to me. And I think that this is borne out by Yitzhub and the Tashbates. The Tashbates there is discussing Moranos. He lived in Algiers, which was close to Spain. And of course, during the Spanish Inquisition and religious persecutions at the time in the Middle of the Ages, people had to convert in order to stay alive, to convert to Christianity. But a lot of Jews, or some Jews, who continued to practice Judaism in secret, known as Moranos. So sometimes they escape from Spain. So one of these Moranos who converted to, to Christianity in Spain made his way to Algiers. And he asked the Tashbet, who lived in the 15th century, the 1400s, um, um, can we rely on him for matters of Kashrus? They claim he was a Jew in secret, even though out, out, externally he was professing to be a Christian. Uh, internally, he was, uh, privately, he was observing Kashrus. So the Tashbet says, if you believe him, that's fine for you. But you cannot... Put that onto others. Others who don't know him that way and have no way of, you know, you know, believing him in that, they have no basis for believing him in that way, so then he's not believed vis-a-vis them. He's only believed vis-a-vis you. Meaning, as it relates to you, a person is believed. As it relates to others, not necessarily so. So it's for a person to serve on behalf of the community in a role because one person trusts him. No, that's what Ramesha said. You can't be that the store owner. One guy knows him in and out and trusts him. Therefore, that verifies it for the whole community. No, it's good for him. Um, but it is good for him. So if a person is visiting by parents, or parents are visiting by a child, and they claim that they're going to only serve them kosher food, and the parent trusts them, and the child trusts them, and they're not being naive. A lot of times people are naive, because they think the person is going to prepare them only kosher food, and they really have no idea whether, whether they're coming and going in kosher food. You have a son-in-law, let's say, who doesn't keep gabruks. The parents keep gabruks, right? The in-laws keep gabruks. When the wife comes to their house, uh, when the wife, you know, marries to the son-in-law, she's not going to keep good herself. When the parents come and visit, they do keep good So then you can trust their daughter when they're going to visit the house that she'll prepare them a meal that's, that's not good right? Because she herself kept good She knows what good means. She's going to prepare them a food, a way that they'll, they'll, be, they'll be happy with it. Let's say you have a person visiting one per- family that doesn't eat good visiting by a family that does eat good Can you trust a family that does eat good to prepare properly for a family that doesn't eat good I'm telling you, you cannot. 
if you are careful about Gavrox, because they don't, they, they think the Kalim thing is ridiculous. They think the whole thing is silly. So, they, you know, oh, really, we can't use the China. We have to use paper. Yeah, they, 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 they don't think, they don't take it seriously. And the same is true in Kashrus. If a person themselves didn't grow up keeping Kashrus, they really have no appreciation for how careful and how, you know, how sensitive we really are about Kashrus. Ramesh's situation was where the children grew up in a from home and then became not religious. Then they grew up, they understand how careful the parents are about kashras, then you can rely on them. So in that kind of situation, you know, more believable. If it's a situation where the person never kept kashras themselves, you have parents and, uh, who are not religious the whole life, and then the children of Bali Tshuva, to trust them, I think, is a little bit more far-fetched. But what I do think this has an application is, if, let's say, the parents order takeout. They order takeout, only from the kosher store, but they unwrap it before the children get there. Oh, do I have to see the wrappers? Does it have to remain double wrapped? Or maybe, you know, you can, so then you could trust the parents. They said they ordered, if you believe them in that way, they're not going to master you, and you trust them that they want to make you happy in order that you should visit again. So even if the wrappers have been thrown out and all that kind of situation, the parents are not preparing the food themselves. They just ordered it from the store. You could trust them that they ordered it from the store and that, uh, you know, in that kind of situation you can rely on.